Welcome to the Stay Hot Podcast, 10th Region Weekly. Alongside me here with Evan Dennison, and going to talk about the uh, 10th Region Tournament this tonight. And we've uh, talked about our predictions for the 10th Region first round last week. And yes, Evan, before you go on and say it and brag and boast, yes, you uh, you got me again. And um, I can't blame nobody but myself because I got the chance to pick the team that I wanted. And, uh, you know, Evan kind of got the leftovers and the leftovers were good enough this week. So uh, I'm down 2-0 and I guess I'm going to have to double up here in the semis and finals and maybe see what happens. But Evan, thanks for coming on tonight. I enjoyed our uh, visit last night at Tracks for the 10th Region Girls Finals and hats off to Robbie Graham and his Lady Cardinals for uh, winning the 10th Region Tournament. But, uh, you know, I'd say tomorrow is probably the night I've been looking for the most since the season started. 10th Region Semifinal night is, you're right, one of my favorite nights of the year. Um, you know, when it was at the field house and like it has been in the past, that's the night usually the stage gets opened up because, you know, we're, we're going to be looking at a packed house and two really good basketball games. And I think tomorrow, despite it being at a different venue, obviously, and, you know, beating a dead horse on that, um, I think we're going to be looking at two really good basketball games. And, you know, I released a story today online uh, on Maysville online uh, at the ledger. And it's, to me, there's no, there's not really. Maybe Harrison County has the argument, but I, I think we have the four best teams left in the region, going to head to head. Now you can argue that Mason County's the second best, and they should probably be playing the two three game or whatever. But you know, we're gonna get the top two teams in the region, I think, all season in one game, and then the next best two in the other game. So at one point, you're gonna have to beat each other no matter what. So it's basically a difference of, of one more game in your season, um, having to beat the champ and. Uh, you know, I think we know, obviously, coming into tomorrow night, GRC is going to be the favorite. They're going to be the favorite going all the way through this thing as, as far as they keep advancing. So, really looking forward to it tomorrow night, 6 and 7.45, two really good games. Well, and, you know, as basketball fans, the one thing we all start talking about at the beginning of the postseason is we want our eight best teams to advance to the regional tournament. Um, and we also want, you know, our top four teams playing at semifinal night of the 10th region tournament. And like you said, I feel like we do have our four best teams, you know, left. Now, you said Harrison County can make the argument. And, you know, maybe they can from a standpoint of the four best teams throughout the regular season. But for the last two, three weeks, I'd say Campbell County is definitely with the way they're playing. I think they've won nine or 10 in a row or 11 in a row, whatever. And I think they're definitely playing like a top 14, 12 in a row. Um, so I guess their win over Paris the other night in the first round was their 12th consecutive victory. And um, we've talked about it for weeks. We know Campbell County is going to be playing their best ball this time of the year. But um, just kind of to back up what you said, we definitely got our four best teams. But let's talk about how those teams got to where they're at and um, talk about the first round of the 10th region tournament. Yeah, we'll go with the first game. You know, Mason County, Bishop Brossert, thought the, thought the uh, Mustangs hung for three quarters. Uh, you know, it was an eight or nine-point game after three. And then I think Mason County just wore them down. I mean, their their ball pressure and just being up in their face full court the whole game. And, and you could tell it just really wore Brossert down. I mean, they shot – the Mustangs shot 65% in the first half and held Terrell Henry to two points and still found themselves down three at, at the break. So, you know, I think Mason County had to be feeling good about themselves considering what was going on there and then um, really ramped it up defensively there in the second half. KG Walton was giving kids nightmares. Um, they probably, you know, had some nightmares about them that, that night. And 
he ended up with five steals in the game and just their pressure defense, I think, was too much. And, and Brosser, you know, I, I thought they did a good job early on of getting Govan the ball in the post. Heck of a career for that young man. Um, but I think as the game wore on, uh, they did a great job on him defensively. And Mason Seapate had 14 points in the first half and then didn't score in the second half. And you think of the Royals offensively are really one of their better games that they've had recently on the offensive side of the ball. 14 of their 21 or 22 made shots had assists behind them. No one had more than 10 shot attempts. And, uh, you know, they shot the ball with, with high efficiency as well, right at the 50% mark. So a solid game for them defensively. And, you know, one where they, you know, I think wore them down and, and pulled away there in the fourth quarter. You, you had that feeling the whole game where Mason was going to be, be pulling away at some point, but Brosser kept responding, man, and, and props to them for, for, for three quarters. But then, you know, the Royals were too much there in the fourth and ended up pulling away. And, you know, a, a good season for Brosser. They just graduate one player. David Govan's the only one that's departing. I think they had about 10 or 11 juniors on the team. So they're going to be a senior-heavy team next year and definitely one to watch. But, uh, you know, the Royals um, are moving on to the semifinals. And um, I think the second game that night, you know, we, we, we kind of knew what was going to happen coming in with, with Clark playing Robertson County. But props to the Black Devils, man. I mean – it was a 12-point game with four minutes left in the second quarter, and that was after GRC had put up a 20-0 run in the first quarter. You know, Justin Becker comes out, wins the tip, hits a three-pointer, and boom, the Black Devils have a 3-0 lead. So that's one thing those kids, you'll never be able to take away from those kids is they did lead the number one team in the state at one point in the game. So it was 3-0, then the next thing you know, three minutes later, it was 20-3, and that's how dangerous – Clark County is, but, uh, you know, the big takeaway I got from that game is it, it, it validated to me, my Mr. Basketball vote with Justin Becker. Oftentimes, anytime he passed half court, two or maybe even sometimes three bodies were coming at him to where he would have to dish off and then kind of fight to get the ball back. Ended up with 28 points, shot 10 of 19 from the floor, very efficient game for him. And, to me, it validated him, and and it, it's probably silly to say that, that it's one game out of the 150-plus he's played in his career, but when you go up against the number one team in the state and they're sending two and three bodies at you, that's that's the ultimate sign of respect. And, you know, Clark County, what can you say, man? They're, they're just so – that was my first time seeing them in person all season, and just the way their explosiveness and how quickly they can score in spurts, to me, is what makes them, you know, the most dangerous team in this thing. And going back first to the Mason County Brosser game, because you kind of stole like the points I was going to make. I felt like that game was kind of Mason County in a nutshell all season long. You can be you can be close or even ahead at the half with Mason County, but they play that style of game to where they just wear you down over four quarters. And, you know, you got to be super conditioned and be able to make some tough contested shots, you know, to be able to beat Mason County. And um, like you said, I thought David Govan – and Brosser did a very good job of getting him the ball early on. He did a great job finishing. Um, you know, Mason Seapate hit a few threes early, like you said, 14 in the first half. Um, and I thought Brosser's guards early on did a really good job of kind of handling that Mason County pressure and kind of making the extra pass and able to uh, make the post-entry passes to give Govan and Schumacher some looks. But, um, you know, Mason County just wears you down when their guards D up like Butler and KG Walton and, you know, even Mitchell and Hamilton gets in there and D's you up. Then they throw in Julius Booker, who's fresh, and he comes in for two or three minutes just to, you know, pressure the guards. And it's just 
you know, you got to have really strong guard play for four quarters to beat Mason County. So, um, like you said, a great game. You know, Brossard played with them for three quarters, and then it was just kind of like, you know, a, a light switch click, and Mason County just runs away with it. And um, with that being said, um, we knew the second game would kind of be, like you said, a mismatch. Um, uh, you know, as a Robertson County former coach and a Robertson County you know, current employee, you know, my heart's always with the Black Devils. But, uh, you know, I really felt like they competed. I felt like they showed up. I don't feel like they were intimidated. I feel like they battled. You know, well, like you said, even getting down 20 to three, I think they were still only down three at the end of the first quarter. Like they made a little run of their own, or maybe it was eight at the first. I don't remember, but I felt like they cut into that lead, kind of weathered the storm. Um, they handled the ball. You know, Justin was exhausted towards the end because he had to bring the ball up the floor. He had to score. He had to rebound. Um, but, you know, all in all, I felt like Robertson County showed up and competed. I don't think they laid down. I don't think they showed that they were intimidated. But the one thing I want to say, and you know, you validate your Mr. Basketball vote with Justin. Um, granted, a lot of people that watch that game, that's probably the only game they've seen Justin Becker play in his career. And, you know, a lot of people say that Justin didn't put up good numbers against great competition. Um, well, if they go back and look at Robertson County's schedule the last three years, and you'll know because you covered us, we played Clark, we played Montgomery, we played Scott, we played Campbell, we played the best in the 10th, and Justin put up those numbers. He put up 30, I think, as a junior against Clark County at home. So it wasn't like, you know, I felt like when people say things like that, they were kind of, you know, implying that Justin padded his stats against um, Class A inferior schools, and that's just not true. And um, I had a lot of people from Clark County reach out to me and message me and tell me that he was the real deal and he could play. Then I also saw comments on Twitter like, um, you, um, it was just one game. He's overrated. He's not as good as he says is. His stats are inflated because of the competition. But, you know, hopefully people that watch that game and they watch it with, you know, maybe an open mind, saw that Justin, you know, being double and triple teamed every night was still able to, you know, put up a good ball game and kind of lead the Black Devils, you know, on the floor and kind of lead them into a position to where they weren't intimidated and they played strong and played tough. It's just, you know, Clark County's beating teams by an average of 30-plus a night. So um, we knew in the long run what was going to happen there because, you know, Clark County also can go 9, 10, 11 deep. And I'd say three or four of those guys that come in off the bench could probably start for Robertson County. So, um, you know, I felt like Robertson County made a good showing, but hats off to Clark County and Coach Cook. They got a really nice team, and um, they just have so many weapons. You know, I thought Sam Parrish played really well that game. I thought he made some shots from the perimeter. I thought Tanner Walton was probably a difference maker. He rebounds on the offensive end really well. Of course, you know what Jerome Morton's bringing every night. You know, Trent Edwards being able to go up and dunk a two-handed, you know, drop step or, you know, off the alley-oop. And then Aiden Sloan doesn't have to score to be the best player on the floor. He facilitates, he defends, he gets his teammates involved. And as you said, from here on out, every time they take the floor, they're going to be the favorite. Just the spurt ability is, is what I think just makes them so dangerous. Um, their capability of putting up 10 to 12 points in a minute or two-minute stretch, it, it, you cannot have live ball turnovers against them. If you do, it's it's two points the other way, guaranteed for, for the most part. And honestly, you, you might even be better off 
when you put the shot up, sending four guys back no matter what. Because um, you're not going to win a rebounding battle against them with their length. And you got to somehow slow the game down on transition. And I mean, they're scoring five more points a game than anybody else in the state right now. That, that's how impressive they're averaging for 85 a game. And it's not like they're not defending either because they're only giving up 52 a game. You know, they're outscoring teams by 33 points a game throughout the season. And, I mean, just their their stats are just so eye-popping on, on how they're able to do this every single night. And with the talent pool that they have, it, it, it just makes you wonder where, where a flaw is going to be. And I, I'm fully confident that Brian Kirk's going to put up one of, you know, the better game plans that, that they've probably seen all season long. And just to whether or not the, the Royals can go out and execute that for, for 32 minutes. And that's, you know, the matchup we'll get to later. And I don't want to jump too far ahead, but. Well, one know, other thing. One last thing for Robertson County, just I think, and, and you'll probably say this is fair to say too, is that that game was pretty much an end of an era for those guys. I mean, you think of the last five years, you were part of it for four years. They had over a hundred wins, I think, in those five years, you know, or, or very close to it. Cause I know, the previous four, they had won 80 games. This year, they won 13. So 93 wins in five years, two district titles, two All-A titles, and then just the accolades for Justin and the rest of those seniors from, you know, whether it be Joshua Pulaski this year or, um, you know, the guys the year before. And I think it just kind of ends an era for them. And then, you know, Coach Massey, you know, resigned this week. We, we, we saw that news. And I think he was kind of doing the school a favor um, with with the unfortunate circumstances last year, you know, with your health and and things like that. And you know, I think he wanted to make sure Justin had a good experience his senior year. But uh, you know, hats off to those guys and, and that five year run that that school's had, and you know, just a great run for a small school and something that that school might not see again, or it would be you know quite some time. And I'm not sure what they have coming up the pipeline, but heck, I mean, you're gonna have to look next year at how they even kind of fill out that team because they had three seniors, three or four seniors on that team. They only had nine kids dressed. So then you're looking at, you know, five or six kids and it's, it's hard sometimes because they didn't get to really play a full JV season. Um, and, uh, you know, when you look at numbers, you know, a small school like that with four seniors departing and only nine dressing, uh, it just, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be tough and it's going to be a real rebuilding project for, you know, the next coach that comes in. And, you know, I think uh, it's a good startup job for someone and you'd be curious to see, you know, who will take that role on. And, you know, it's an end of an era for those guys. It is. And, uh, you know, a lot of times at small schools, you know, um, Augusta's maybe an exception to this, but a lot of time at small schools, when you have a good run like that, you know, we don't have the population or enrollment that we can just, you know, keep reloading, reloading, reloading. You know, we, we go through what years we have that are really good. We have to enjoy those really good years and wait for that to come about again. And who knows when that could be, you know, we have had a good run. Um, you know, we, I think we've made the most of that run two all A's and two districts and, um, hats off to those kids for coming in and kind of putting their stamp on Robertson County and, you know, you know, Coach Massey, like you said, he was probably the perfect guy for the job this year. Um, I'll never be able to thank him for what all he did for me last year and never once complained, stepped right in, kind of took the bull by the horns and kind of led those guys to the regional tournament and a, and a district championship. And um, I hate that he's giving it up, but I totally understand. He's been a part of 
you know, basketball for almost 30 years now and he's got family and probably wants to spend some time with them. So I totally understand that. And, and what you said too, about, you know, the next coach, very good startup job, very good people to work with and somebody can come in and kind of, you know, kind of cut their teeth at the varsity level. And um, we probably will have enough players to fill the team next year. We have a big eighth grade class. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on what their, uh, I guess, decision to be as far as a, a freshman JV schedule, or if we have, you know, enough to compete at the varsity level. I know um, Rodney Massey, our athletic director has our schedule done. He's put together a pretty competitive schedule for what we have coming back next year. So, um, whoever has interest in that job and gets to take that job, I think we'll see that they can have some success with the schedule we have in place. But the last thing I want to say is, and I could be wrong, but we, we looked this up, and I think um, Justin's 28 is probably the most an individual player has scored against Clark County this year. We didn't have the, uh, the game they lost against the South Carolina team, you know, but against all their other opponents. I don't think we saw another individual player score 28 against them. And if they did, I bet they weren't guarded by three, three players every possession once they crossed half court. So once again, hats off to Justin Becker for a great career at Robertson County and uh, looking for big things for him at the next level and uh, wish him the best of luck on March 20th in the Mr. Basketball race or the ceremony that takes place on the 20th. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that turns out, and uh, you know, we'll we'll find out here in the next two weeks on, you know, who's going to win that award, and you know, moving on to Thursday, uh, starting with the Camels and the Greyhounds, Campbell County taking on Paris, and I was just really impressed with Campbell's physicality. I mean, you could just tell that they were just the much stronger team, and I don't want to say bullied them, but kind of in a way they did, just the way they defended and made everything so tough for Paris and holding them to 32 points in the game. You know, that's what I was just most impressed with. And, and it's not like Paris, you know, Jakari Ransman's a big body. You know, it's not like he's, you know, uh, undersized, you know, player. But just how physical the Camels were. I mean, they grabbed 44 rebounds. Eric Davey with 14 points and 20 rebounds. And just how methodical they were and, and how they defended. They made things just extremely tough for Paris. And, I think we knew coming in who was going to win this game. It was just a matter of how much. And, you know, props to Paris. They, they drain a couple threes out of the half, get it to within 10. Eric Russell calls a timeout. And then, boom, you're looking at, I think it was like a 20-4 to four run after that to, to break the game open pretty much. And they eventually got it to a running clock there in the fourth quarter. And I thought they got good contributions everywhere. I mean, outside of their big three and Eric Davey, Aiden Hamilton, and Jake Gross. Now, I mean, those four combined for 34 points, but they also got 10 from Garen Jackson, nine from uh, nine from Garrett Seary, uh, six from Trevor Williams, four from Brock Sorgenfree, and three from Keegan Hill. So a balanced effort for them. And, you know, on a night where maybe their big three didn't have to, you know, carry most of the load, they got contributions elsewhere. And I think that'll help their – confidence going into uh you know monday night's game with with bracken county and i'm not going to lie i really uh i really was impressed with coach baker in paris probably the last two or three weeks of the season i thought they got a lot more competitive than what they were early on i don't know if that's you know any specific reason i know can contavion downey and um jakari ransom both picked up their level of play and uh, they've got the uh, super eighth grader Malachi Ashford, who I think had a gr- Ashford, sorry, who I think had a great, you know, first season at the varsity level. 
from what he did as a point guard and points per game and assist and, you know, just somebody who they probably relied on a lot to be the primary ball handler, just the poise that he showed. Um, I really thought Paris kind of improved towards the end of the regular season. Now, I agree with you that we felt like that we knew the result of this game. We knew Campbell County would probably win and pull ahead, but I honestly uh, was kind of surprised at the outcome with how well, you know, Paris has been playing. And I say that knowing that Campbell County also beat Brosser by 40 plus in the district finals. So it should have been no surprise to me that the outcome was, you know, I guess as distance as it was when you look at the final score, but, um, that just kind of confirms what we said about Eric Russell and his teams in the 10th region tournament. But um, Campbell County, you know, we said it, you know, they've won 12 in a row. They're definitely a much different basketball team now than they were several weeks ago. But I think you could say that about Mason. You could say that about Clark. You can say that about Bracken. You know, teams are obviously going to be different now than what they were, you know, beginning of February into, Mar- or, uh, into January. But just seems like, you know, their tough early season schedule, and we talked about it. If you go back and listen to weeks three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, we talked about Campbell County and how strong their schedule was and how Coach Russell and the players were mentally tough enough to not let that losing record deter them from their prize or the end-of-the-year goals, and they've kind of used that tough schedule to their advantage, and now they're playing their best basketball. And one went away from the 10th region finals, which with their run they've had the last several years is just remarkable. Yeah, I mean, that'd be seven and nine years, seven region finals in nine years. So that obviously speaks for itself. And, you know, Paris, um, you know, be curious to see, uh, you know, the direction George Baker goes with that program, uh, you know, whether – if he'll return or not, you know, he'll be going into his third season if he does. And I think they've got a nice little foundation to start with. And, and Malachi Ashford, who's an eighth grader, and Ransom, who's a sophomore, they do lose sticks, you know, can carry on Downey. They call him sticks. And he had a nice game. I mean, he had a nice baseline dunk and I think had eight of their 12 points at halftime. And, you know, a, a decent um, senior season for him. And just be curious to see, you know, what direction they go. And, again, they fall into that kind of small school category where – I think it looks like there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seniors on their roster of the, you know, 14 it looks like on the roster. So they lose half that roster. And then, but like I said, a, a good foundation to start with and Ashford and Ransom and kind of build up from there. And, you know, Paris, you know, they're, they're five years removed from an all A state title. And I think that just shows how hard it is for small schools to kind of build back up to that level. Um, and sometimes it just takes a, a really good class, whether it be, you know, your fourth or fifth graders coming up and you eventually kind of groom them once they get to high school or, or whatnot, and just kind of shows how hard it is to kind of get back to that talent level. Um, and then well, that's, let me finish my thought real quick. I said, I mentioned earlier that Augusta was the exception to that. And what I mean by that was if you look back at the, the run where they had, where they won three districts and they went to the finals of the region in 2016, ever since that point, they've been able to stay pretty much, you know, I don't want to say on top, but they've not had those down years like Class A schools have when they're really down. You know, Coach Henson's done a good job since uh, coming back for Coach Kirk and really keeping them in the conversation to where they've been competitive at the district level. They've been competitive at the All-A. So, you know, it's hard, like you said, for small schools to graduate that many seniors and, you know, bounce back and still compete the next 
the next year. Whereas you look at the teams like, you know, Mason, Montgomery, Clark, you know, Campbell, Scott, those guys are bigger schools. They can graduate a large senior class like that and maybe not miss a beat or maybe not drop too much. So it's very difficult at the class A level to stay on top year after year after year. So that's why it's very important for the small schools to really maximize the most out of their success and have those good years when they come up because they don't stay every year. And I mean, this experience was, was great for them too, to, to rally back from 19 against Montgomery County in the district semifinals and even get to this point. So, you know, great experience for them. Good to see them back in the region tournament. And then moving on to the final game, which I, I think we all knew was going to be the one really competitive game of the first round. I mean, the first three games were decided by 34.6 points per game. So almost a, a running clock average in those first three. And then you factor in, you know, Bracken County, Harrison County, a double overtime game. The Polar Bears with with no, uh, you know, flair for the dramatic. I mean, it's their third overtime game this season. That's been a do-or-die game when you factor in the two all-A state games that they played in. So this one had it all. I mean, you know, Blake Reed gets off to a hot start. I, I honestly think that's kind of what helped them win this game because they built a 14-point lead there in the second quarter. Uh, Blake has five threes in the first 12 minutes of the game and just didn't look like he was going to miss anything considering the last three it was a double clutch three and it goes in and you're just like oh man this is one of those nights and you're starting to think where you know maybe the all-time tournament region single scoring game records uh, in jeopardy but I thought Harrison did a really good job from that point on of locking in on him not letting him get any sort of rhythm or flow going the rest of the way and, uh, you know, battled back. I mean, they 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 built them – they had an 11-point deficit with I think it was 6.34 to go in the game and then uh, closed out to, to tie things up. And then you, I think it just kind of showed how gassed they were in the overtime, in the second overtime, from exerting all that energy to get back into the game. And just – I don't know what they had left in the, in the overtimes because you look at the free throws, they went one for seven – and then just how many layups they missed in those extra periods. I mean, I, I could count at least five or six off the top of my head right now. And someone sent me a stat chart later uh, on the week after the game. They were five for 15 on, on layups in that game. So they missed 10 layups total in that game. So one of those goes in the other way. Then, you know, heck, maybe we're talking about Harrison County tonight. But props to the Polar Bears. Um, and I think those overtime games at the LA State Tournament kind of – Helped them a lot. You know, they had two guys foul out in, in this one. Jashad Commodore and Peyton Gilvin both fouled out. And, you know, I thought Garrett Reynolds got a huge jump ball rebound uh, in that second overtime to help secure the victory. And they hit free throws where, where Harrison didn't there in the extra periods. So a great game. You know, one of those classics I think a lot of people are going to remember. And the Polar Bears are moving on. And, you know, it, it just uh, it, it keeps adding to the storybook season that they're kind of having. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head and talk about the fatigue. I thought it just kind of showed the conditioning that Bracken County is in because, you know, they only play five or six guys, maybe seven, a lot of nights. And, uh, you know, so their starting five play a large amount of minutes. And it seemed like, you know, mentally and physically, they made the stronger decisions in both overtimes, you know, than what Harrison County did. Harrison County was obviously gassed. You saw a lot of their shots fall short. Even on layups, some of the shots fell short. Like you said, one of seven from the free throw line. Um, 
I will agree with what I've read. You know, a lot of times on Twitter, everybody want to talk about what great game this was. It was a great game by the scoring margin being a three-point double overtime victory. But when double overtime and scores are in the 60s, I'm not so sure it was a great basketball game from that aspect. But, you know, it's a great game, fun for the fans to watch. Um, Bracken County travels well. They had a good crowd at homes. Um, hats off to Terrence Brooks and his guys, like you said, down 11, fighting back to get it to overtime. And I think they even had a possession or two in overtime, the first overtime where they could have taken the lead. Things could have been a little bit different. Um but, you know, the thing I think I recognize as the key was, and it seemed like early on, you know, Harrison County, I don't know if it wasn't their game plan or it just seems like they didn't make a concerted effort to get Harris the ball early on. When they made their run late to tie it up and go to overtime, it seemed like Harris was touching the ball every possession. He was taking that one dribble from the free throw line, going up strong and either finishing with – a you know, around the basket or getting to the free throw line. And, you know, I think he uh, he kind of got him back in the game. And then, you know, fatigue set in in both overtimes to where he couldn't really put him on his back. But, you know, and I think that's ultimately going to be the difference, you know. Now, are you talking Kenny Harris from, or Caden Custard? No, like like Harris. He kind of – he there for a while. He got the ball four or five straight trips there in one of the overtimes and made layups or whatever. And what I'm saying is – and I know Custard posted up and got some buckets and he used his size as a guard – and Custard is a phenomenal player, very deserving of his uh, 10th region all-tournament team selection. But, um, like, the one advantage I felt like Harrison County had the entire game was their interior play. I don't feel like they utilized that enough early on. And when Blake comes out and hits five threes in the first 12 minutes and you find yourself down double digits, your game plan may change a little bit. But And I think – to that, I mean, they, they didn't even start Furnish. You know, he's 6'11". He's from the games I've seen, he was normally in the starting lineup. They decided to go small and match small for small and, and put Hinton in over Furnish. So to me, that, that kind of makes me wonder like what, like you said, were, were they really trying to establish the post or were they more so just trying to match speed for speed? And they ended up with 20 turnovers. So, you know, credit to Bracken County for speeding them up. I thought a lot of more careless turnovers though. There was one moment where they threw a ball and it, it went like, it would have been like six rows up if there was baseline bleachers and it wasn't even close. So I think Bracken did a really good job of speeding them up in that game too. And that's, that's the point I was getting to is, you know, the turnovers and a lot of times turnovers are a result of your physical fatigue leading to also mental mistakes. And, you know, Bracken County played like a two, two, one press and they weren't even really trying to what I would call pressure you. I think they were trying to control the tempo, whatever. But it seems like it was more like a cover two in the NFL and just their safeties in the back would just pick off long passes. And the pass you're referring to, Kendall caught it before half court and he kind of threw a two-hand overhead pass that hit the midway up the brick wall there. And, you know, it wasn't even really pressured. The guy down there on the wing that was going to be receiving the pass didn't have anybody around him. And it's just, you know – Harrison County, I don't know if it was the mental fatigue or physical fatigue or just not being able to handle a lot of pressure that they, you know, they turned the ball over. And ultimately, you could say that probably also played a hand in the outcome of the game. But um, here's my my question for you. Um, And this isn't me questioning Adam Reed by any means. I'm just kind of curious from a coaching standpoint. I'm not going to claim myself as a coach, although I cover basketball quite a bit. But I've never sat in that chair of a high school basketball coach. But. 440 left, you're up five. Are you stalling or are you attacking? 
Um, 4.45 to go, I think, is a little late. Or I mean, there's still enough time on the clock to go into full stall ball. But I will defend Coach Reed's um, decision here because he's got two of the best guards in the region. Now, if you have guards who don't handle pressure well, if you have guards who struggle to make passes against pressure or guards who struggle to handle the ball against you know, token pressure or whatever, then I think you run your sets and you score. Um, Blake and Caden, if you remember, what they did there in that last 440 was kind of like what they did to stay in the game against Campbell County last year in the regional tournament, and they had some success. Um, I think with Blake and Caden, I think um, I'm going to defend his decision there. And, you know, as a coach, we all have different philosophies. It's easy to go back and say now that, you know, the decision wasn't the best decision because, you know, they lost that 11-point lead in four minutes or whatever it was, and Harrison takes it to overtime. But ultimately, when you got Blake and Caden out there, I really feel like, you know, they if I remember, didn't they take two and a half minutes off on one possession? Yeah. No, they took they took 225 off. And and, and that's why I'm, I'm not questioning him on doing it because, he, you know, he mentioned they were in some foul trouble too, you know, and – you never know. I mean, let's say they do continue to stay on the attack, miss a couple shots, Harrison comes down, and then they have a couple fouls. So they worked off two minutes and 25 seconds on that possession when they decided to pretty much go four corners, have, you know, Blake and Caden penetrate, kick out to when they doubled. And I, and I thought, you know, Devontae and Austin and those guys made great decisions of not firing that open three at that point in the game and, and more so working the clock. But, you know, they only had two turnovers that fourth quarter, too. They, they did come at crucial times, one of them coming in the last minute to end up setting up Harrison to come back and tie it. And um, But, I mean, I, I was just kind of curious, just asking well, from a coaching standpoint, because like, that's such a tough predicament to be in when you're, like, right in that range of being up, like, let's say four to eight to ten points, and there's four or five minutes left in a, in a, in a situation like that you wonder what you need to do. And, and I've seen sometimes where it goes the other way, they take the air out of the ball and boom, the other team comes back, makes a 9-0 run, and then boom, they're up one with a minute something to go. And you're wondering, oh, should I have stalled or what should I have done there? So it just it, – it's. I think to me it's it's open for discussion. And, again, it wasn't me questioning anybody. I just kind right, of curious. Right. On- well, it's funny you asked that question because when I was watching the game, I was thinking if I was in Coach Brooks's shoes, when will I come out and foul? When would I come out and put them on the line? And I was sitting there thinking that anytime Blake or Caden didn't have the ball, I probably would have took my chance and fouled. And if you remember correctly, um, it was once again, yeah, Blake played phenomenal, Caden played phenomenal, but once again, it was the role players they have that made the big plays. You know, first play of an, one of the overtimes, Jashaw gets an off- offensive rebound, puts it back. I know Devontae hit a three late in the game. Also, Norton hit a three from the left wing late in the game. Um, it's just plays like that, that those guys, they never get an offense ran for them or very few times do they get an offense ran specifically for them, but yet they stay engaged on the defensive end to where they help Blake and Caden a lot on the offensive end. But, you know, I was thinking on the other hand, not so much if I would take the air out of the ball with Blake and Caden, your decisions are a little bit different because those two got those two guards are so good at handling the ball and pressure not rattling them but I was thinking more of the side of coach Brooks all right well if if they throw this to Jashad or Norton I'm fouling immediately and putting them on the line well to add to that they only had 14 fouls at the time so they had to pick up three more team fouls toward the end and that's when the free throw game happened but that wasn't really till about the last minute or so and 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned Deshaw because I, I really thought he was an X factor in that game. He finished with 11 points and hit some big buckets there in, in the third, fourth. And he is the only one who made a field goal for them in, in both the overtime periods and was off a putback. Well, with that being said, you know, like um, I've had situations like that where we've only had one or two fouls with six or seven minutes to go, and I'll go tell my guys who don't have fouls to go reach in to get it closer to the bonus. So when that situation occurs, you know, one foul will get them on the line, and then you can pick and choose almost who you want to shoot that free throw. Obviously, you don't want it to be Blake or Caden, and that's no disrespect to D, Austin, you know, Garrett, uh, Jashad, or even um, Gilvin. You just would rather any of those guys shoot the free throws other than Blake or Caden. But, you know, when it came down to it, the double overtime, you know, Bratton County made more plays, and ultimately that's why they're advancing, and they've earned the right to be in the semifinals of the region on Monday night. Yeah, and, you know, moving on to Monday night, and like we said earlier in the show, we can't wait. And it starts at 6 p.m. with Mason County and George Rogers-Clark. And I think outside of maybe some people picking Campbell as the number two team preseason – Mason County's held firm in the number two spot all year long, and there's been really no reason to justify putting anyone else above them. Maybe Bracken County the week before the district tournament, just how well they were playing, and Mason still, I don't know, they were kind of maybe in a little bit of a rut, but they were still winning basketball games. So to me, it was hard to justify ranking them over them, but Mason was my in my number two spot all year, and here we go. You know, they didn't get to play each other in the regular season for – whatever reasons are that are out there, people can say one way or the other, but, um, you know, it's the Blue Bloods. I, I think they have a combined 26 region titles. Mason County's got 15. GRC's got 11. They faced each other 75 times. Mason's ahead in the all-time series, 41 to 34. And obviously none of that matters come tomorrow night, but it's just fun to look back at the history and everything and, to me, my question is, is how Mason County is going to offset their size. Um, I compare their lineup lately, the way they've been going, to that Golden State. Remember when they had that Death Star lineup? They would put Draymond Green in at the five. And I'm not – I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing either way, but I, I kind of look at Draymond and a Terrell Henry kind of in that same type of role where Terrell can do it all, man. I mean, once he gets a defensive rebound, he can bring the ball up the court if needed. Um, he can facilitate if needed. And I like that lineup that they roll with when they have Terrell out there and they have the other four guards, with, you know, when it's Nate Mitchell, Mason Butler, uh, KG Walton, and Braylon Hamilton, because that gives them a couple scoring threats on any level of the floor, whether it be from deep or driving to the paint. But you go with that lineup, then you're playing with fire on the other side because then you've got Trent Edwards, 6'7", Tanner Walton, 6'4", Jerome Morton, 6'4". Stanley Smothers 6'5". So is GRC going to counter that by going tall? Or are they going to continue to, you know, maybe go small and bring in maybe like a Rashawn Hampton and go Sloan, Parrish, Morton, Hampton, and then have Edwards be the other five or Walton or, you know, whoever else. So I think it's it's, it's a fun game to, to play matchups like that, considering the contrast of, of height and styles and um, I'm really looking forward to this one. A lot of people are saying, you know, Clark by 20 or 30. I, I disagree. I mean, maybe Clark pulls away um, towards the latter part of the game, but I, I think this game's going to be closer than a lot of people think. And I, and I think Mason can keep this game within 10. I'm not, I'm not calling it an upset, um, but I, I think this game's a lot closer than what people think. 
and I agree. Um, one of those reasons why I agree is I coach Brian Kirk. Um, I promise you he'll have a game plan to, you know, to get the most out of his guys, to uh, give his team the best chance to compete and win. Um, you know, I like the lineups you talk about, but, you know, if you go small, if you're with Mason County, I think Terrell could body up like a Trent Edwards, and he's athletic enough and strong enough that I think he could rebound out of that matchup. But if that's the case, then they have nobody to guard Tanner Walton. And I think one of Walton's greatest assets is his ability to offensive rebound. I mean, he seems to always be in the right position. He knows where the ball's coming off the rim. He gets there, and once he gets that offensive rebound, he finishes well with contact. He gets a lot of and-ones from underneath on offensive rebounds. And um, then if Mason County tries to go big, he does have – it's almost like he's the he's the X factor. He'll be the hardest person for Mason County to guard because if you put Terrell on him, then obviously Edwards or somebody else could have a big game underneath. And um, – I really think Mason County needs to get a little bit more out of Philip Philip Beerley. I don't think Beerley's had a good game since since Bulldog night. Um, when he played in that Maysville uniform, maybe Kirk got a petition uh, the 10th Region KHSAA to bring out the black and gold tomorrow night because something about those uniforms brought the best out of Philip Beerley. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying Philip Beerley's played bad since that game because I don't think he's played bad, but I don't his outside shot hasn't been falling as consistently as it did that night. You know, he's still one of those guys on the floor. It's giving you 110% every night. He goes hard. He rebounds. He defends. I think he gives you all he's got, but I think Mason County's going to have to score from a lot of different people to keep up with the explosive offense that Clark County has. And now I don't look for Clark County to turn Mason County over as much, you know, KG, Nate, uh, Butler, I think those guys who are experienced guards, I don't think the pressure is going to rattle them as much as it would some other schools. However, I think they're going to have to play once they get in the half court, maybe try to make Clark County play defense for, you know, I wouldn't be taking a lot of quick shots. I'd be trying to control it. I'd be trying to control that tempo to where this game's in the 60s or 70s, not 90s and 100s. That's what I was going to say. Like, you think they'd be better off trying to play this? I mean, heck, even go lower than the 60s, go to like 40s or 50s, you know. I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that will be determined by how easy of baskets they're getting. If they're running their sets and they're getting easy baskets, um, I think that'll dictate what Brian Kirk decides to do. But if they're, if they have to, I mean, work for every basket they get, because, you know, we talk about the spurtability and the explosiveness of the GRC offense, but a lot of that stems from, their ability to lock you down on the defensive end. Those long defensive rebounds, they get out, you know, in transition. If you make it, they'll make two passes and get the ball up and try to create as many transition opportunities. I think Brian Kirk can probably limit a lot of those transition opportunities by being deliberate offensively. And when you're deliberate offensively, it's got to be because you trust your offense to where you can get good shots. And um, I'm with you. The people that says this will be a 20, 30-point game, I disagree on. Now, does Clark County have what it takes to make it 20, 30-point game? Yes, but Mason County's got too much pride and tradition to allow Clark County to win by 25 or 30. Here's my three keys to the game, if you want to break it down. Live ball turnovers, got to minimize those as much as possible. I'd take a walk or a five-second call or something like that over a turnover and a dunk the other way. Rebounding. And I'm not talking about offensive because you can almost forget about that. I'm talking about defensive rebounding. You got to somehow 
eliminate Clark off the boards. I don't know the set number. I'm not going to really put a number out there, but you've you got to somewhat keep that close. And then I'm going to turn to Mason three-point shooting. To me, that's the ultimate equalizer in a game. They got to hit about 10 to 12 threes in this one and, and you know, maybe hit 10 out of 20. So they got to shoot 50% from three at least. Um, those are the three keys that I'm going to point to in, in keeping that a close game and quite possibly pulling up, pulling off what would be considered probably one of the bigger upsets and in, in maybe, I don't know if I want to say 10 previous history, but it'll be one of the bigger upsets across the state. Um, what, which leads me to ask. When can you ever say a Mason County win in the 10th region is an upset? Yeah. Well, I guess I, you go back to, I want to say 2010 when Mason beat Clark. Uh, I believe I, I saw Travis Skaggs from WFTM tweeted out where that was probably considered an upset considering how strong Clark was that year. Um, I, I think Jordan Gilbert, uh, you know, a current Mason County assistant, had a big game that one. And they had Justin Lang also at guard. And, they pulled the upset that year. So I guess you could probably go back 12 years and you know, I don't, I, I wasn't here. So I don't know how monumental of an upset that was, but I'm just say saying tomorrow, very, this, this I'm just saying very rarely in the 10th region is a Mason County win ever this determined an, uh, an upset, but I will agree with you 100%. If they were to win tomorrow night, it, it will be classified as an upset. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think with their tradition and history, uh, obviously, you know, it's probably tough to find a scenario like that. But so I'll say Clark by uh, 11. I, I think it's a six to eight point game in the fourth and they pull away with free throws and, and whatnot toward the end. So I'm going to say Clark by 11. Um, I definitely say Clark wins. Um, I think it may get more than 11 just because I think it'll hang around, like you said, that eight to, you know, 10 point. Then at the end, Mason County misses a few and has to foul. I'm going more like uh, I'm going 75 60 Clark. Um, I think Mason County's will try to be deliberate offensively. I think Kirk will have his guards where they do limit those turnovers. And I also agree that the three-point shot is the equalizer, but I don't see them hitting 10 to 12 three-pointers tomorrow night. So I'm going 75-60, Clark. All right. And then we go to, um, you know, Bracken County, Campbell County, which projected for a 745 start. It'll be 25 minutes after the first game. And, you know, you, you you can look back at the January 4th game where, where the Polar Bears pulled out a 75-73 win in Brooksville. But, and I, I talked to a few people on Twitter today about this, on, on how the Camels are a different animal, but you could also say the Polar Bears are just as strong as what they were then. But I think the big fact to look at is Garen Jackson didn't play in that game. And, um, you know, he's been inserted in the point guard role from January 12th on, and they're 14-2 and two from that point. So the, the Camels obviously found something there. Uh, also in that game, Aiden Hamilton had early foul trouble. I believe Jake Gross ended up kind of getting foul trouble toward the end of the game. And credit to the Polar Bears. They, they forced 20 turnovers in that game. I went back and read my game story today from that one. Um, they had zero answer for Des Davey. Um, he finished with, I believe, 35-20, and 20, just a monster night. But you wonder, you know, how they can respond and answer that. But also Peyton Gilbert didn't play that game. So you consider that's one post player that can maybe help minimize what Davey was able to do. And I just think uh, this time around, if, if the Polar Bears can continue to, to turn them over and, and get a high turnover rate, 
they'll be right in this again. And, you know, also in that game, they got 38 from Blake Reed, which also included the game winner in the closing seconds. So I think they're going to need another performance like that from Blake where they get 35 to 40 from him, have Caden, you know, do his normal average. And then elsewhere, I believe they got 19 points combined from, from the other five guys. Um, I believe Jashad had eight. Devontae was six, and then the others had a couple here or there. So uh, I, I think it's going to be similar to the Harrison keys that we had. They're going to have to try and find ways to offset the size disadvantage that the Camels are present. Um, and, and we'll just kind of have to see from, from there on, on how that kind of turns out. But I, I just think the turnover rate and being able to get um, high productivity from, from both Blake and Caden will be the key in this one. Um. Well, a couple of things I think you need to look at. One, I think Coach Russell and Campbell Kennedy will make it uh, their their game plan to get the ball inside to Davey, at least, you know, touch the ball in every possession. I think they know that's their strength. I think they know that's where they have an obvious advantage, and I think they'll look to do that, and I think they'll do it often. Um, two, I think the one thing that's going to be a little bit different is um, I think the referees from what we've gathered – are letting you play a lot more physical in the regional tournament. I think that I think that favors Campbell County. Um, I think Bracken County needs an Aiden Hamilton or a Jake Gross or a Des Davey to get a couple fouls early. Um, I look for Blake Reed to have a big game. I don't know if he gets to 38 this time because I think uh, Coach Russell put the game plan together to maybe try to slow him down. But I think that in order for Bracken County to win this game and – you know, I think their role players have to kind of play and contribute like they did against Harrison County. They got to be able to knock down that open shot when they're going to be given the open shot. Because I look for Russell and Campbell County to kind of back off, you know, Jashad and Norton and those guys to make them hit the perimeter shot so they can stop Blake and Caden's penetration. You know, have everybody in help and kind of force those guys to make a consistent perimeter jump shot. Um, I don't know if, you know, if, they're going to be able to slow down Blake or Caden. I think they get theirs most every game. I think the key is going to be how the role players of Bracken County respond. Can they defend Campbell County? Can they uh, stop Aiden Hamilton and Des Davey and Jake Gross from all kind of having a big game? I think they can stop one of them. I don't know if they can stop all three. Um, obviously, Garen Jackson has been a uh, huge addition to their lineup. Like you said, 14-2. and two. Um I've not seen them play since he's been inserted, but I almost say he'll probably get the assignment of Caden uh, Reed guarding him and trying to slow him down. But I think the difference is going to be how the referees call this game. If they call it really physical and let you play, I think it benefits Campbell County. If they call a lot of uh, fouls on the drive and, you know, when you're attacking the basket, I think that's going to benefit Bryant County and gets Blake and Caden to the line a lot more. And anytime you can get some points against Campbell County with the clock stopped, I think that benefits you. Um, and I, honestly, on this game here, I've, I've heard from Polar Bear Nation this week. Believe me, they were the first to let me know I picked against them in the first round of the region. And if you all remember correctly, I picked them to beat Mason County. They lost. I picked Harrison to beat them, and they won. Everybody in Polar Bear Nation has begged me to pick Campbell County this week. So, I, I can't let them down. Coach Reed's a good friend of mine. I'd love to see him in the regional finals. Um, so, I'm going Campbell County, but I think it's going to be a uh, – probably I'm going with a 66-61 game. But that's for you, Coach Reed. I know how you love me to pick against you for motivation, so I'm doing that for you. 
Here's a here's a good little tidbit. Um, these two played February 5th last year, a regular season game at Campbell County. Campbell's destroyed them, 63 to 30. You hold Bracken County to 30 points, you're doing something good. That's almost Blake Reed's average. Two games since, Blake Reed scored 39 and 38 on them. So 77 points his last two games against the Campbells. They're obviously going to remember that. So I think you're right on, on they're going to try and scheme and do everything they can to try and get the ball out of his hands and make the other four beat them. But and, and Blake I think is going, one area, it doesn't matter I, what you do. Um, if Blake's hit – you know, a lot of the threes he hit the other night against Harrison were tough shots. They weren't wide open threes. Um, they were contested. tough. Yeah. Yeah, they right. were tough contested threes. He got the shooter's roll. He got the bounce. Um, you know, so slowing Blake down is not, you know, easy to do. Like you said, 77 points against Campbell in two games. That's that's remarkable. That's phenomenal. It's amazing going against, you know, probably taller, quicker guards. Um, but I can tell you this, and what I think where Blake's matured the most, and, you know, I feel like he has really, you know, grown on the offensive end to where, you know, if he's getting double teamed, he hits his open teammate. He's not forcing a lot of shots now. He's hitting just shot in the corner, Devontae in the corner or whenever, when he penetrates and they slide over for the charge or they slide over in good help position. I think he's passing the ball. Now, are there times I'd like for him to be a little bit more selfish? Yeah. Probably so, considering the elite scorer he is. But I think he's also shown his confidence in his role players, and I think that's one reason why those guys are playing so well is I think they have the confidence of not only Coach Reed but also Blake and Caden Reed. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you're right. And I, I think uh, another key in this one is rebounding. The first matchup this year, Camel's out-rebounding them 41-22. to 22. But I also think – the turnover factor helped kind of offset that with, with Bracken being able to turn over 20 times. Um, I remember that game well because I was there covering it, and Campbell's came out in his own. And I remember asking Coach Russell after the game, like, you know, what 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 was the thought process there in, in going zone with the length that you have and, you know, knowing how much perimeter threats they have. He's like, you know what, it's January 4th. I just wanted to try it. <laughs> and that's that's just how – good Russell is because he he works things in throughout the season and he sees what sticks he's not he's not afraid to lose a January 4th game to to whoever it is and maybe find something that he can put in his, his back pocket and use come March 7th so I'm telling you that's right what makes, now that's what makes him that, that's what makes him so good and and, and people you know it, it's maybe like beating a, a dead horse but the guy just gets it man and once it comes March that, that team just turns into a different animal. And a possibility of seven region finals in nine years speaks for itself. One of those years, a buzzer beater taking them away from that from that game. So it, it, it's just impressive. But, hey, you know what? Since you picked the Camels, I'm going to go with Polar Bear Nation, baby. Let's go. And here's my reasoning. Yes, Campbell County's hot. But I also think that schedule lightened up a little bit toward the end of the season. You look at that schedule – it wouldn't as strong as maybe the first part of the season. And, yeah, you still have to win those games, and there's still some formidable opponents in there. But I'll also argue that Bracken County played a tougher schedule down the stretch. They played the Ashlands. They played the George Rogers-Clarks. You know, lost to Mason County in the district championship and, uh, you know, beat Harrison County twice also in that time frame. 
where the Campbells lost to Harrison. So I, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Polar Bears. I, I think, you know, their their run is, is not quite over just yet. And if they do make a region final, it will be their first one since 1955. Well, one thing you can say about Adam Reed and the way he's coached his boys, not just Blake Caden, I'm talking about the, the entire team. They're not scared of any moment. No moment's too big. Um, they'll be ready tomorrow. But I just, you know, and I've said it all year long, and they've proven me wrong all year long. With their lack of size, they're going to come up against a team with the dominant post play that you're just not going to be able to stop. And I just think tomorrow that's Des Davey. Um, I don't think, you know, I could be completely wrong, but I don't think there's any chance that Campbell County turns it over 20 times tomorrow. I don't think that referees are going to call it so tight that, you know, Hamilton gets 2,000 the first quarter. I think they're going to let you play. Now, I think Blake and Caden can handle that physical style of play, but I also think a lot of their game is based on how well they get to the free throw line and how many times. Um, but, you know, once again, Bracken County's playing in the game of the night that's probably going to be the best and um, most competitive game of the night. Um, I hope both both these games go into six overtimes each. Um because I think we truly do have the four best teams in the region, you know, playing tomorrow night. But, you know, you've got Bracken County. I've taken Campbell. Um, then I guess I'm going to have to let you pick first in the finals so I can uh, justify, you know, picking opposite you so I can try to tie you up because I'm I'm winning this week. I can't lose three in a row. I've never lost three in a row. There's no way in the world I'm losing three in a row. But I did do Coach Reed a favor. They asked me to pick against them one more time, and so – that ultimately is why I've chose Campbell County. But, you know, with that being said, um, should be another good night of basketball. Tuesday night, uh, the finals will take place at Holmes. Um, and just to kind of everybody who's out there listening, they will recognize the uh, new Hall of Fame class of the 10th Region Coaches Association at halftime of that game. They will also announce the all-region players. Now, the all-region players won't be coming out to the floor they will save that for the uh, Hall of Fame uh, class, but that will take place at halftime of the finals on Tuesday night, which is always um, something that kind of helps pass the time of the uh, the halftime, but also lets those people who were just inducted kind of receive the applause they deserve from all the fans in the crowd that have been 10th region followers for years. And most of them there will probably remember when these guys played. So, um, it's great that they get this opportunity that COVID's taken away from us the last couple of years, and now they'll get the chance to uh, get that recognition they deserve on Tuesday night. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, looking forward to seeing some of those guys. So I, I guess it's a little different because the girls, they nom they uh, um, recognized the honorable mention and third teams during the semis and then uh, the first and second team, the second semi game. So I guess that's a little different from what the boys do. But Well, um, in all honesty, in the past – and, and, you know, Kerry Bars, our liaison, he talks this and plans this and organizes this with the host. But I know in years past, they've done the same thing. It was kind of like the honorable mention in 13 were one semi, the first and second were another semi, and then the Hall of Fame was the finals. So I don't know if maybe because uh, Coach Bard did all this negoci negotiation and planning and organization with Scott A.D. Casey Fisk. You know, I know he's talked to him, has given him the list, and I don't know if it was um, the athletic director that said, you know, we can only bring the Hall of Fame class to the floor. You know, I noticed the girls 
um, a couple nights ago. They brought their teams down to the floor, got a group picture of each team, and I thought that was a great gesture. I'm not sure why the guys aren't doing that this year. I know we have in the past. However, I do know on Tuesday night the Hall of Fame class will get the recognition they deserve. Back to my pick. I mean, I I, I think we'd, we'd be silly to, to not say George Rogers Clark should be cutting down the nets Tuesday night. Now, you know, they're going to have to earn it, obviously. I, like I said, all across this show, Mason County is going to give them a game tomorrow. And then whether it be Campbell or Bracken, I know I picked Bracken, but if Campbell's there, um, you, you just rewind back to last year. They had to beat him at the buzzer. And I think we knew coming in that Clark was going to be the favorite going in last year. Now, this team's obviously more dominant. Maybe the Camels don't have that senior leadership like they did last year with Garrett Biting and Dane Heggie and those guys, but um, the Campbell's going to be right there with them, I think, if if it comes to that matchup. And then, you know, Bracken, I, I think they're kind of hanging their hats on if, if they do get to that Clark matchup. They had a really bad second quarter when they played down in Winchester a couple weeks ago, and I think they ended up letting the game slip away at that point and ended up losing, you know, by close to 30. But if those two meet, I think, in the finals um, – Bracken with that guard play, I, I think they can stay in any game that they play in. So they've proven that with with the hard schedule this season and, and being in pretty much every game they've played in. So I'm gonna go with and, Clark I'm cutting the nets down on on Tuesday night. And I mean, it, it it it's not like I'm going out on a limb. I mean, I think I saw someone on Twitter the other day. Oh, I'm four and zero in the first round, tenth region games. All right, good job. You know. Yeah, that's, I think I made the same same comment, and um, you know. <laughs> But, you know, and obviously I'm going to pick Clark, too, and I it, I don't really have any other reasoning other than they've been the best team all year long. I think no matter who they play in the finals, um, they're going to have some advantages and matchups that benefit them. And I think ultimately the defense they play for four quarters, the quickness, the pressure, it creates so many transition opportunities that it just it's hard to it's hard to beat that team. And you've almost got to shoot. I guess I'm not going to say hundred percent, but you got to shoot at a very high percentage from the free throw line, field goal and three point just to be in the game to have a chance to win. But um, obviously I pick Campbell to be Bracken. So it'll be Campbell and uh, Clark in the finals. I'm going to pick Clark, but you know, I'm put you on the spot here. I know you picked Bracken County, but in all honesty, who gives Clark County the better matchup Campbell County or Bracken County? Uh, when you compare that, I, I would have to say, the Camels just because of because of Davey inside. I, I think he can kind of equalize or neutralize Edwards and Walton all on the boards. And um, you know, you look at Aiden Hamilton, he's an elite scorer. You know, he's six foot four, elevates on his jumper. So it's not like you can even if you're contesting that, he's still elevating and shooting over you. And then Jake Gross can, you know, he's a solid wing as well and can knock down the, the open shots and they were the ones who gave the Cardinals the, the toughest game in the, in the region all season. Now, I know it was the first game of the year, but I just think, um, you know, matchup-wise, coaching pedigree of Russell, they would – they would to me, would be a better matchup in a one-game scenario. So, that would be my answer. And then just one more thing I'll add on Holmes being the host. I, I feel they've done a great job, um, but I do have one gripe. Get someone with an aux cord, man. We need some pregame music up in there. Don't be wrong. I love the bands. They're great. But there's moments and times where it's just silent in pregame. And to me, like, you, you need the atmosphere ramped, amped up for, 
you know, this region tournament, and you want to have that feel. The first night was kind of shaky just because of the crowds weren't as big. Frostburg didn't really bring much. They had maybe 200 people there. thought Mason brought a, brought a nice crowd considering the circumstances of probably knowing that they'd win that game. And But I, I still think they had over 500-plus in the building. So they brought a decent crowd, I thought. And then the second game, you know, the people from Clark, they, they just didn't come. And it's hard to blame them knowing how lopsided that game was going to be and the, the drive. And they're probably saving up for this week, I imagine. But I, I think that's going to be another factor coming in Monday night is, you know, the, the crowd early, you know, 6 o'clock game in Covington uh, from Winchester. That's a good hour-and-a-half drive. For Maysville, that's a good, you know, hour, hour 15 drive. So curious to see how that early crowd is. But I think no doubt that second game, the Campbells brought a really nice crowd against Paris. Uh, I, I'd say they had a thousand plus on their side. Obviously, a big school, big student section. And then, you know, as you mentioned earlier in the show, Bracken County travels well. So I'm expecting a good crowd tomorrow night. Um, I think Holmes has been a good host. Obviously, many of us have voiced our, you know, displeasure of, of having it outside the 10th region. And I think that's something that'll be talked about next athletic director meeting. And, um, but for the most part, uh, I still think it's, it's been a good tournament so far and really looking forward to the next two days. Um, I think somebody from the 37 district will probably listen to this before tomorrow and they'll have you an ox cord waiting on you when you, uh, sit down there and have the music. They might even let you control the music and let oh, you, be, that. <laughs> let you be DJ, DJ Dennison. But, yeah. uh, you know, and last thing before we go. Um, we talked about a little bit before we came on the air. The winner of the 10th region will know on Tuesday night, and they will be playing the winner of the 14th. Right now, I believe it is Perry County Central versus Estill County that will be in the finals of the 14th. So you're looking at the winner of the 10th, whoever it may be Tuesday night, will take on the winner of the 14th, which will be Perry County Central, which who probably is going to be familiar to some 10th region fans because they played in the Mason County Invitational this year and they played three games and a lot of the average 10th region fan got to see them play. So that's one team that um, they'll be familiar with. And, you know, I look for Perry County central. I think they were the best team in that region all year. So if they were to advance over Estill, then they're going to get the winner of the uh, 10th. So yeah, that uh, game would be uh, March 16th at 6 PM. So it's the Wednesday night game, the first night, the first night, uh, first, the game first game of the second set. session. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you'd have Region 13 versus Region 15 in the nightcap. So I, I think it's a good draw for the 10th. You know, we, we predicted Clark. Um, I, I, to me, you know, it, it'd be great, you know, to to get that second-round matchup. Let's say Region 13, North Laurel makes it out, and then you get Reed Shepard on the floor and him taking on, you know, a Clark County team like that. But they've got to get through Knox Central first, who's beat them. I think they've won three 13th region titles in a row. And then also in the 15th region – you know, you got Pikeville there too, who's to me a, a top ten team in the state as well. So, well, they're going in the they're in the finals against former tenth region player Jalen Rigdon, yeah, Pike man. County Central Hawks. Yeah, same so, up. Best <laughs> of luck to Jalen and Coach Aaron Rigdon, and best of luck to them again. We know what kind of team Pikeville is. They're one of the few Class A schools that have probably been in the excuse me top twenty five all year long. But um, you know, and it's. It's sad for me, for my mind, to go this way. But, you know, North Laurel, Knox Central, of course, you know, my my daughters go to Corbin School, so I'm kind of familiar with that area. And hats off to the Lady Hounds. They won their, uh, you know, regional tournament to whether they play GRC 
in the women's state tournament, but um, everybody wants to see Reed Shepard at Rupp. Everybody, you know, and if Reed Shepard gets to Rupp and they beat the 15th region, then we get GRC against North Laurel in the second round. If GRC were to win the 10th and, you know, say they win the first round opponent. So that's a matchup that I think a lot of people are probably looking forward to if it does happen. We're giving away our Sweet 16 podcast, man. Come on. This is a, this is next week talk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> Rewind it 10, 10, 15 seconds and cut it off. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, best of luck to Mason, GRC, Campbell, and Bracken County tomorrow night. Uh, regardless of the two teams that win, I think we're set up for a very entertaining competitive final on Tuesday night. And, um, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if I'm going to attend yet. I really like the convenience of prep spin, sitting at home and eating, not have to wait in line 20 minutes for a warm or hot pop or whatever the concession stand. I can just kind of help myself to whatever I'd like. And I love the convenience of prep spin. They do a remarkable job. So um, best of luck to those four schools and coaches. And uh, any last thing before we go? Just looking forward to it, you know, and um... – I, I think we've only got one more of these left, you know, when we kind of lead into the Sweet 16. So it's it's been a fun year. I think this is probably our 13th or 14th episode. So, you know, we've got some great feedback. I appreciate everybody listening, um, especially the past few weeks. You know, I've had people either, you know, tweet at me or come up to me personally and say, I really enjoy the podcast. Thanks for doing it. And, um, you know, obviously thanks for having me on. And uh, let's get to it, man. I'm, I'm excited for the next two days. To me, it's, it's, it's uh, two of the better days in, in Kentucky high school basketball. And I, and, you know, and once again, I'm glad, you know, we talked and made this happen and I can't wait to do it again next year. I've really enjoyed every week. I really enjoy talking about 10th region basketball, being a coach, you know, the last few years, not only that, but being a player in the 10th and I followed the 10th region my whole life growing up and, you know, even when I coached on the girls' side, I was a very big part of the boys' basketball, so I enjoy covering it. I enjoy talking about the athletes and all the successes they had. So I can't wait to do it again. And, you know, kind of to hit on what you said about, you know, the feedback, I get the same messages and, you know, people telling me that they uh, they listened to it on the way to Bowling Green. It was a good podcast. They enjoyed listening to it. Um, you know, I know we're not going to be on the uh, trending podcast worldwide or anything, but, you know, we're getting up over 200 listens pretty much every show now. And uh, the 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 feedback we're getting up from those, you know, listeners have been, you know, 99.9% positive. So thank you guys for continue listening. And anytime you all have anything, let us know, reach out to us. We'd be happy to address it. But, you know, tomorrow, I think it's going to be a little colder, Evan. I think it's going to rain. Temperatures will start to drop eventually. So you know what happens when it gets colder. You stay tuned and stay hot.